What type of scheme changes can we expect from defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen compared to what the Falcons have done in recent history? You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more by visiting FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started and we thank each and every one of you that makes this illustrious podcast your first listen each and every day of course shout out to my everydayers out there make sure you follow their blueprint to success by subscribing or following for free on youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts so today's episode is a Monday mailbag, and we'll be answering a, a couple of listener questions towards the end, including whether or not Amari Cooper is a potential option for the Falcons to upgrade their wide receiver position, as well as some other interesting questions related to Jalen Mayfield and Felipe Franks, everybody's two uh, favorite Falcons. But we'll focus on an initial listener question talking about the Falcons' defensive scheme over the last several years and what kind of changes that we can expect under new defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen. And, of course, this question comes from Cell in the Fal Locked on Falcons Discord. This is what type of defensive scheme did the Falcons have from 2015 to 2022? Also, what type of scheme will you ex will we expect in 2023 for the Falcons? So it kind of depends on, you know, how you sort of categorize your defensive schemes, right? Traditionally, historically, teams, people tend to differentiate between defensive schemes by what their fronts are, right? And that has been, you know, 3-4 versus 4-3. But, um, you know, that has kind of changed in recent years uh, because teams are running a lot more hybrid fronts nowadays, right, over the last decade. And, you know, that's meaning that they're taking elements from the 3-4 defense and elements from the 4-3 defense, you know. And under Dan Quinn from 2015 onward, the Falcons were primarily a 4-3 under front, right? Which is pretty indistinguishable from what a 3-4 looks like. And I've drawn one up on the board, on the whiteboard behind me. Like, for example, the 3-4 under front that Wade Phillips ran in Houston when he had J.J. Watt and then with the Rams when he was with Aaron Donald is very similar to what a 4-3 under front is. And I've drawn it up on a whiteboard. And you can't really tell the difference between – they look – pretty much the same front and really as i've drawn it up there the only real difference between those two fronts in the three four under and a four three under is what that weak side line weak side pass rusher who i have squared off uh on that up you know in a three four that player stands up in a four three that player's hands in dirt and that's really the difference uh in in, in today's kind of nfl and so you know, most teams play a variety of different fronts. You know, you got the 3-4 Oki, the 3-4 Eagle, the 4-3 Over. You got Bear Fronts, all these various things. Everybody's running all the stuff, and they're doing it based primarily off of the opponent and the matchup and all that stuff. And it's not we just run this particular front all the time. You might have a predominant front, but it's not as sort of sort of cut and dry as it used to be. 
And nowadays, when you're distinguishing between defenses, at, at least in my opinion, it's more about what type of coverages you run, even though teams run all the same coverages. But what differentiates this defense from that defense, because they're all kind of hybrid up front, is like, okay, we run more of this coverage shell versus that coverage shell, right? And under Dan Quinn, um, the Falcons were primarily a cover three zone cover one man coverage team a middle of the field closed defense right in terms of their coverages and there's two types of coverages broad categories for coverage there's middle of field close where you basically have a, a safety in the middle of the field deep or middle of field open um where you don't right and you know middle field open primarily or cover two cover four quote-unquote split safety looks middle of field close cover one cover three and so the falcons were predominantly in middle of the field closed defense, they'd run cover three on early downs. And then, you know, that would allow them to get that eighth defender in the box, uh, usually Keanu Neal, uh, at that strong safety to help defend against the run. And then usually on passing downs, they would play man coverage, cover one primarily. Right now, they did dabble in cover two at times, you know, prior to 2019. But then once Raheem Morris kind of took over the play card and they started to veer a little bit more into playing a little bit more cover two but again they were still predominantly a cover three cover one and primarily under Raheem Morris they really went hard into the man coverage stuff right now the past couple of years with Dean Pease the Falcons have tried to be a little bit more of that middle of the field open split safety sort of covered but last year they were predominantly a cover three defense right and I've been charting the defense since 2019 uh, and 2022 saw them play more cover three than anything else. 40% of the pass plays that I charted, the Falcons were playing some form of cover three. In 2019, that was 35%. In 2020, that was 30%. In 2021, that was only 25%. Now, last year also featured the lowest percentage of man coverage that the Falcons have played since I started charting, which was 28%. In 2019, that was 46%. 2020, that was 41%. In 2021, that was 35%. So. How exactly will this type of scheme, now that you understand where we've been, where what direction are we going? And we'll break down exactly what my expectations are for what Ryan Nielsen is going to change here. But we don't 100% know. But I think we can make some educated guesses on what Nielsen has said he wants to do, as well as what the Saints have done under defensive coordinator Dennis Allen the last couple of years as to what we will likely see the Falcons do this season and into the future. And we'll break that down as we continue today's Locked On Falcons, guys. But first, I want to tell you to go ahead and make a fast break to FanDuel for the NBA Finals because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets, even if your first bet doesn't win. And whether you want to bet on the NBA playoffs, the NBA draft, you want to bet on the upcoming NFL season, whether that's Super Bowl, who's going to win the NFC South, is Bijan going to win the Offensive Rookie of the Year, all that and more. And of course, you can bet on Major League Baseball, and I love their parlay builder because you can bet a little, little to win a lot. And you can find it all at America's number one sportsbook over at FanDuel. So visit FanDuel.com slash on and get that no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So um, in terms of what the Falcons will look like, understanding, you know, let's start talking about the fronts again, right? Again, they've insisted 
publicly Arthur Smith and Ryan Nielsen that will be a hybrid. That's why they've been vague about are they a 3-4, are they a 4-3, because it doesn't really matter anymore. They're going to do both, right? My suspicion is that we'll see a lot of 3-4 under. We'll see a lot of 4-3 under. As I've outlined before, that will basically determine that weak side pass rusher, which will probably be Arnold Ebiketti or Bud Dupree. And, you know, traditionally in the 4-3 under scheme, that player is referred to as the Leo, right? In the 3-4, as I understand it, the Falcons referred to that guy that was the Terrell Suggs role. That was the Jack linebacker, primarily a pass rusher. And, you know, they'll be in the 3-4 when Ebiketti or Dupree are standing up. They'll be in a 4-3 when one of those guys puts their hand in dirt. And that's really the difference. Uh, that will probably be their primary. But they'll, they'll run a lot of different fronts and all that sort of stuff. It, it, again, as I said earlier, it really doesn't matter at, at this point in time what your fronts are. It's really more about the coverages because, again, it's a passing league and whatnot. Now, I think the biggest change we can expect on the Ryan Nielsen is you can expect the Falcons to run a lot more man coverage than they have under the last couple of years in the DBs. Now, I don't know exactly what that number is going to look like. My guess is it will be more than what we ran in 2021, which was 35%, but probably less than what we ran in 2019, which was 46%. Now, the Saints ran 46, 48, 52, 55% man coverage at, at various points uh, over the last couple of years. I don't expect the Falcons to go all the way in on that man coverage to the same degree that the Saints have in recent years, but I do expect it to be a relatively high percentage, and that's usually about over anything over, I think the league average is like 32, somewhere around that percent. So 35 40% is certainly above average man coverage, and I expect the Falcons, let's, let's say roughly 40%. Now, I think you'll also see one of the changes that Ryan Nielsen does is moving towards more middle-of-the-field open coverages, those split safety looks, um, then we saw last year, right? We saw a lot of that in 2021 under DMPs, not as much last year under DMPs. I think we'll get more of that in 2023 under Ryan Nielsen. But more importantly, what you're going to see a lot more of is cover two man or two man under, as some people refer to it, or cover five, as I've heard other people refer to it. That is, you have two high safeties and you play man defense covers. That's why it's two man under, two man under, right? And for my charting the last four years, the Falcons have never played more than like one, two or 3% of their coverage as being that two man under um, coverage. And when you look at the saints, the saints pretty consistently were running at like 20 or more percent of the time, the last couple of years. So let's imagine say the Falcons run like 40% man coverage this year. Don't be surprised if like 20% of that 20% is two man under 20% is cover one. Right. It'll be, you know, the Saints have consistently led the league in terms of two men under coverage the last couple of years and running roughly 20 percent. So I expect that number to go way up. Right. We're, we're going from a team that's running that one to two percent of the time most years to potentially 15, 20 or more percent of the time this upcoming season. And then when the Falcons aren't running man coverage, when they're in their zone coverage. Right, whether that's going to be 40% of the time, like it often is with the Saints, or is that 60% of the time, somewhere in that range, probably in more likelihood, the Falcons will probably be a little bit more leaning on their middle of the field open man coverages rather than those middle field close. So that's going to be more cover two zone, cover four or quarters rather than cover three. Now, the Saints, from the most recent data season that I have the complete data, ran roughly an equal percentage of all three of those coverages right? Roughly 10, 12, somewhere in that range uh, percentage of, of those coverage splits. But 
because most teams in the league run a lot more cover three, the Saints have consistently been at the bottom of the league in terms of cover three usage. And you kind of know that Ryan Nielsen, we're going to dial back our cover three usage significantly, especially from last year. We were running at what, what, 40% of the time, I think is the number I said. Um, yeah, 40%. You know, that may be like 10, 15% this year. And the reason why you know that is because Ryan Nielsen has already said, we're going to play with light boxes. And that typically refers to, the you know, one of the reasons why the cover three has been so popular over the last decade is that that eighth defender, that strong safety, the Keanu Neal, the Cam Chaser, can come in and defend at that eighth guy in the box, right, from the traditional seven-man front that you have, whether that seventh guy is a nickel corner or, or a linebacker uh, in your base versus nickel defense, right? You can bring that eighth man into f- box. And the reason why that matters, guys, for those of you that don't know, and this is where we will get into analytics on this podcast. I know we've been spurning that over the last, you know, six-plus weeks on this podcast. But the analytics will tell you that the number one factor in determining the success or failure of a run play is how many defenders in the box, right, rather than, the quality of your offensive line, the quality of your running back. And so what defenses try to do schematically is they try to have even numbers in the box, right? Like So your traditional run play, just to briefly explain, right? You'll have your five offensive linemen blocking, you'll have your tight end blocking, and then you'll have your running back. So you'll have seven guys involved in the run play that defense has to account for, right? And so what the defense wants to do is they want to have seven guys in the, in the box or and have an eighth guy in the box so that they can, even if the offense perfectly executes their block there's going to be one free defender to make the tackle right even if the running back makes that seventh defender missing the hole that eighth defender is going to be able to make the tackle and limit the run play right and this is why the quarterback run game is so hard for defenses to defend because traditionally you don't have to account for the quarterback because he just hands the ball off and and moves away right but now if the quarterback can run the football then you have to account for him and now you have to you you won't get even in it all of a sudden, if they bring a fullback into onto the field or a second tight end onto the field, it's going to be really hard for you to count for all those uh, blockers and whatnot. And so that's going to be put you at a disadvantage in the run game. But right, that's a big reason why teams have preferred the cover three historically because it allows you, especially on early downs, you can better defend against the run because that's predominantly when teams run the football. But what Nielsen is saying, playing with lighter boxes, this is where the league is going towards because instead of playing that cover three where you can bring that second safety into the box, right, you're playing the split safety stuff, cover two, cover four, whatever, and that safety is not going to be a factor in the run defense. And so you'll never be able to get more than six or seven guys in your box. And so that's why you kind of get bigger guys up front in order to sort of offset the fact that you're never going to be having equal numbers in the boxes to defend the run, right? So you need, you know, playmakers. And when you have Aaron Donald, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, the, the Staley defense that Brandon Staley brought to, to L.A., when you have a player like Aaron Donald, it becomes a lot easier, you know, because he's basically worth two defensive players. So you can kind of cover that mistake. But that's a whole separate issue. So basically, all that to explain, we're going to play with lighter boxes, which is basically telling you, which is Nielsen telling us we're not going to, rely as much on cover three we're going to a lot rely a lot more on cover two with that eighth defender not being in the box with those split safety coverages so that is something that you can expect that's the reason why the league is going towards that if you're if i didn't make it clear is because teams want to stop the explosive plays that's the it's designed because teams are passing the ball more on early downs rather than running the football 
you know, you want to stop those explosive pass plays and, and playing that cover two or cover four is better at limiting those explosive plays on early downs than uh, playing the cover three is. But this is also part of the reason why teams like the Falcons offensively are kind of zigging while the rest of the league is zagging, right? That's why we're going to run the football. Okay, you're going to play with the light boxes. We're going to pound it down your throat, right? Now we can run the ball effectively. So it's it's kind of an arms race, that sort of thing. Again, this is something that we will probably get deeper into into the future. And I'm sure, by all means, leave me a comment if you want me to go deeper into it. I by no means an expert, but I can at least explain it to you as I understand it the best way I can, so that at least you we can be on the same page in terms of our understanding of it. You know, maybe we won't necessarily be on the same page with some of the the defensive gurus and experts in the league out there, but at least we will come to accord here on Lockdown Falcons. But that's where we're going to leave the scheme changes. I hope that makes it clear. Just in summary, more man coverage less cover three, that's primarily what the biggest change that we'll see, you know, more cover two man specifically in terms of man coverage um, and less cover three, right? That's, that's probably the biggest change that you'll expect is just like take out a lot of the cover three and replace that with cover two man. And that's kind of the Ryan Nielsen defense that you can expect. There will be other tweaks and changes. And obviously we'll break that down as we, get that information during the season in the film and, and certain things. Uh, but that's the primary difference that we will see Ryan Nielsen implement here in Atlanta versus what we have seen in Atlanta the last several years. Right. So um, we will continue today's episode, getting into some of the listener questions, including whether or not, you know, Armari Cooper with the Cleveland Browns should be our latest wide receiver obsession, obsession for the Falcons to acquire as well as whether it's more likely that Felipe Franks will score a touchdown or Jalen Mayfield will actually become a good tackle now if that is his new position. And we'll break that down as we continue today's Lock on Falcons. But of course, guys, want to give a shout out to my everydayers. Continue to follow their blueprint by subscribing to Lock on Falcons on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to send your questions to be answered on the podcast, of course, you can leave a comment here on YouTube. You can hit me up in the Lockdown Falcons Discord, a link in the description below, or you can hit me up on social media at Lockdown Falcons on Facebook or Twitter, as well as send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. So our first question comes from Spacebar in the Discord. He says, since getting the news about the Falcons moving Mayfield back to right tackle, it got me thinking about a couple of shocking outcomes this year. I have two that come to mind. Number one, Felipe Frank scores a tutty. And number two, Mayfield, probably due to injuries, sees playing time at tackle and looks decent. Which do you think is more likely? So, um, you know, it's hard for me to bet against Dwayne Ledford since he has been a miracle worker based off what he did last year. And so if he can pull off what you're saying and Mayfield goes back to being a tackle and looks decent, you know, that will solidify uh, Dwayne Lifford as the greatest uh, coach that's ever walked the face of the earth. Um, but I would probably say the number one Frank scoring a touchdown is more likely than those two. No offense, Jalen Mayfield. I just, when I watched this tape at Michigan, I did not see a guy that could survive as a tackle in the NFL. And as good as I think Dwayne Lifford is, you know, I, I don't think he's actually performing miracles, uh, which to me, that's kind of what it would be. But um, given that Michael Pruitt scored like four touchdowns and, and the Falcons were able to scheme those plays up, then I think they can pretty easily scheme up Felipe Franks to get one touchdown on like a 
tight end throwback or something in the, in the red zone or something like that. So um, that seems much more likely because it, it's, that's much easier to do if you ask me. But our next question comes from Letterbomb in the Discord. He says, with Avery Williams out for the season, what are the odds that we see Bijan taking regular season snaps at punt returner? Uh, extremely low. That's something I think you will see in OTAs when, you know, practice, right? Um, as it, as as Alan Iverson would say, uh, we're talking about practice. Uh, I don't think you'll see that once we get to training camp and once we get to the regular season. I think that's just something the Falcons are able to experiment with in OTAs when, I'm not going to say nothing matters, but like, relatively speaking, it doesn't matter. Like, you you can try stuff then. Uh, our last question is an email from Ali Khan L. He asks, I read that the Browns are thinking about releasing Amari Cooper. Not sure how legitimate this source was. He is 28. While not blazing fast, he did run in 4-4-2. I don't know if he would fit in Atlanta, but if the Corey Davis acquisition that I'm patiently anticipating with you does not happen, what are your thoughts on bringing Amari Cooper to Atlanta? Um, and Ali Khan was the person who asked the question last month, and I forgot his name. Uh, and I, hopefully, Ali Khan, I... I got the pronunciation of your name. So I, I did remember the name correct. So send me another email if I, if I got the pro- pronunciation correctly, but um, you know, I'm not sure where your information is coming from. I did some research. I know there was some talk before the off season, like back in January, February, that maybe Amari Cooper would be a cap cut, but it doesn't seem like that's been the thing. Maybe this is coming from the Browns using their top pick on Cedric Tillman in the third round this year. Uh, maybe that's caused people to speculate a little bit more about Amari Cooper's future. But from everything I've read, Cooper is pretty much safe uh, in Cleveland through this season. Maybe after this upcoming season, they could move on from him. I, I know Donovan Peoples-Jones is a free agent. There's been talk that they probably won't be extending him. Uh, and that's part of the reason why they drafted Cedric Tillman. I think it was more of a let's get a better number two in here than let's replace uh, Amari Cooper as our number one when it comes to that. But Cooper, because he was traded to the Browns, has cap hits of like $24 million this year and next year, and then his contract expires at the end of the 2024 season. Um, and it, what it sounds like is the Browns are hoping, from what I've read from like people like Tony Grassi, who covers the Browns, is that they're kind of hoping to ride out Cooper for these next two years, and then hopefully in 2025, when Cooper's contract expires, by that point, Cedric Tillman or somebody else, Elijah Moore or whoever, um, has kind of emerged as their go-to number one wide receiver. But it doesn't sound like the Browns have any intention of moving on from Amari Cooper until somebody else emerges as a clear-cut number one, which uh, Amari Cooper is there. And not to mention that there's kind of some pressure on the Browns this off this season because there's been speculation: is is Kevin Stefanski on the hot seat if they don't make the playoffs this year? Is he out? All that stuff. So th- there's a lot of moving parts there, like. You know, if they bring in a different coach or a different general manager, do they move on from Omar Cooper? Is You know, don't know those answers. But it doesn't sound like the Browns are eager to to pay Amari Cooper at some point in the next couple of years. So they'll just kind of ride out these next two years, uh, maybe restructure his contract a little bit. Um, you know, because if you've got to pay Amari Cooper, you're going to pay like 20, potentially like $25 million a year. Um, and so, you know, that's going to be a... De- 
that's going to be a, a problem for, I think, a team like the Falcons, because I don't know if the Falcons want to get into bed with any $20 million a year wide receiver. You know, if they're going to pay $20 million a year to a receiver, I think it's going to be someone in-house, a Kyle Pitts, a Drake London in a year or two down the road, rather than going out there and getting an Amari Cooper. But to answer your question, all that circumstance, money, all that stuff uh, aside, in terms of Amari Cooper's fit in Atlanta, I, I think he would be a great fit. I think he is a he is an Arthur Smith kind of receiver. You know, he's historically been a very effective vertical receiver, although you wouldn't necessarily uh, categorize him as a true burner. Uh, and certainly I think he was a much better vertical threat in with the Raiders and he has been the last couple of years with the Browns and Cowboys and he's been more of a possession receiver, but he's a very good possession receiver, very good route runner, very good on ISO routes, good on third downs, good in the red zone. He could block a little bit, contested catch receiver. So there's a lot of overlap between, you know, like you can make an argument that Amari Cooper is what we hope Drake London can turn into, but Cooper has a little bit more juice uh, than, than Drake London does. So he can, he's a much more effective yards after catch guy in vertical threat than probably what Drake London is uh, in this league. Uh, Drake London is a little bit bigger, but like that type of ISO, you know, number one beat one-on-one coverage. And I remember we talked about this in the discord over the weekend and we were talking about Dak Prescott uh, and why his play dropped off. And I don't think it's a coincidence that losing kind of the go-to guy in that Cowboys offense in Amari Cooper and Dak started throwing interceptions because he was forcing the ball because he didn't have that security blanket. So I think Amari Cooper could be a very good addition here in Atlanta. Whether the Falcons want to pay Amari Cooper $20 million in order to facilitate that move uh, to happen in a world where he is, a, you know, available uh, in free agency um, or due to being cut, um, you know, I think I'd be skeptical of that. But he, I certainly think in a world where, you know, money didn't matter or draft picks and trades didn't matter. Yeah, I, I do think Amari Cooper would be a very good fit for the Falcons because he just checks a lot of the boxes in terms of, you know, playing that ball control run heavy style of offense that Arthur Smith wants to play. So uh, that hopefully answers your question, Ali Khan. I don't think Amari Cooper's going anywhere in Cleveland, at least not through this season. Next year, we'll have to sort of see what the situation is with that coaching staff, that front office. You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore, Cedric Tillman, all that and more. And then maybe we'll see Amari Cooper come free at that point, but not until after this upcoming season. But uh, certainly, you know, would be an upgrade because he's one of the top 15 receivers in the NFL. And that wouldn't describe Corey Davis. That certainly doesn't describe Hunter Rimfro. So he would be a much better just from a pure pound, pound for pound, you know, acquisition would be a better fit there. So um, that's going to do it for us, guys. Uh, if you have any questions that you want to have answered, of course, you know where to hit find me in the Discord, email, leave a comment, Twitter, Facebook, just basically search Locked on Falcons on whatever platform you're, you're looking to contact me and you will probably find a way to contact me for future Q&As. Uh, I don't know what tomorrow's episode exactly will be. Uh, I haven't necessarily uh, wrapped up my DeMarco Hellams film study. So that's probably, we'll probably push that to like Wednesday or Thursday, uh, but we'll, we'll just sort of have to see. So um, we'll talk about something, right? So that's an opportunity for you guys to kind of steer the ship with some of your listener questions. So that is going to do it for us here. Uh, continue to make Lockdown Falcons your first listen and, you know, check out the Lockdown NFL podcast for your second listen. Find it all on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 